Uh, Pilgrim, you might ask, what's that old fool laughing about? Well, I just uh, did three quarters of this uh, devotion this morning without my mic on. <laughs> oh, it seems like the older a fool gets, the older a fool gets. Ah, he gets more and more foolish as the days go by. I'm <laughs> I'm going to begin this devotion again by reading from Matthew uh, 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Take a bit of it. Beginning at 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it? How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on the people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to, to your Father who's in heaven. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I'd say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to return this morning to that uh, that sermon, Enduring to the End, that I uh, gave you part of yesterday, the first part. Today's the second part. We're going to talk about perseverance. Enduring to the end. Perseverance is the badge of the saints, the tar target of our foes, our enemies, the glory of Christ and the care of all believers. First then, Pilgrim, the perseverance is the badge of true saints. It's their scriptural mark. Well, how am I to know a Christian? By his words. No. No. Well, to some degree, though, but so, to some degree, words betray the man, but a man's speech is not always a, a copy of his heart. For, for with smooth language, many are, are able to deceive me. What does our Lord say? He shall know them by their fruits. But how am I to know a man's fruits? Well, by watching him one day? No. I may perhaps form a a guess of his character by being with him for a single hour even, but I I couldn't confidently pronounce upon a man's true state even by being with him for a week. George Whitfield was asked what he thought of a certain person's character. Well, he gave a good answer. I've never lived with him. Yeah. If we take the run of a man's life, say for ten, 20 or 30 years, and if, if by carefully watching we see that he brings forth the fruits of grace through the Holy Spirit, our conclusion may be, be drawn very safely. 
As the truly magnetized needle in a compass with many deflections, yet does really and naturally point to the North Pole, so if I can see that, that despite infirmities, my friend sincerely and constantly aims at holiness, then I may conclude with something like certainty that he is a child of God. Well, the works do not justify a man before God. They, they do justify a man's profession before his fellows. I can't tell whether you're justified in calling yourself a Christian except by your works. By your works, therefore, as James says, shall you be justified. You can't by your words convince me that you're a Christian. No, you can't tell me over and over again, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I went forward. That doesn't prove a thing to me much less by your experience, which I can't see, but must take on trust from you. But your actions, your actions will tell me, unless you be an unmitigated hypocrite, speak the truth, speak the truth loudly. If your course is as a shining light which shineth more unto the perfect day, I don't know yours is the path of the just. All other conclusions are only the judgment of charity, such as we are bound to exercise, but this is as far as man can get it. The judgment of certainty when a man's life is, is the judgment of certainty when a man's life has been consistent throughout. You just can't tell without seeing his works, how he lives, what he does. Moreover, analogy shows us that it is a, his perseverance which must mark the Christian. How do I know the, the winner at a foot race? Well, there are spectators and there are runners. What strong men they are, what magnificent muscles, what sinews. Yonder is the goal, there's a finish line down there, and there it is that I must judge who's the winner, not here at the starting gate. For they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. I may select this one or that other person as likely to win, but I can't be absolutely sure until the race is done, can I? There they go. See how they press forward with straining muscles, but one is tripped. Another faints, a third is out of breath, the other's fallen, the others are far behind. One only wins. Who's he? Why, he who continueth to the end. So I may gather from the analogy which Paul constantly allows us from the ancient games that only he who continueth till he reaches the goal may be accounted a Christian at all. Perhaps a ship starts on a voyage to Australia. If it stops at Madeira you know, in Spain, or, or returns after reaching the Cape, Cape of Good Hope, can't make it around Africa, it's turned back. When you, would you consider that it ought to be called an immigrant ship for New South Wales? No, it must go the whole voyage or it does not deserve the name. A man has begun to build a house. He's erected one, one wall, one side of it, do you consider him a builder if he stops there, has failed to cover it in or finish the other walls? Do we give men praise for being warriors because they know how to make one desperate charge but lose the campaign? 
Have we not of late smiled at the boasting dispatches of commanders in fights where both combatants fought with valor and yet neither of them had the common sense to push on to reap the victory? Yeah, it reminds me of America's wars today. What was the very strength of Wellington? But that when his triumph had been achieved, he knew how to reap the harvest which had been sown in blood. And he only is a true conqueror and shall be crowned at the last, who continueth till war's trumpet is blown no more. The war's done, it's over. Ah, not in America today. It started so many wars it never should have started because it didn't have what it took to finish him because they were a bad cause in the first place. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> it is with the Christian as it was with Napoleon. He said, conquest has made me what I am and conquest must maintain me. So under God, Quan, conquest has made you what you are, and conquest must maintain you. Your motto must be, Excelsior, oh, most high. Or if it be not, you know not the noble spirit of God's princess. But why do I multiply illustrations when all the world rings with the praise of perseverance? Moreover, the common-sense judgment of mankind tells us that those who merely begin and don't hold out will not be saved. Why, if every man would be saved who began to follow Christ, who would be damned? In such a country as this, in such a country as this, the most of men have at least one religious spasm in their lives. I suppose that there is not a person before me who at some time or other did not determine to become a pilgrim. You, Mr. Plyville, you were introduced by a Christian friend, <laughs> yeah, Christian, who had some influence with you to go with him. You had some influence. Yeah, I mean, you were influenced to go with him some short way till you came to the slough of despond. Yeah, things got a little rough. You thought yourself very wise when you scrambled out on that side which is nearest to your hometown and you gave up. And even you, Mr. Robson, there, yeah. are you not always dogged? You have fits of thoughtfulness and intervals of tenderness. My ear, my ear, oh, Pilgrim, how impressed you were at the prayer meeting. How excited you were at that revival service when you heard his zealous brother preach the theater. What an impression was produced. Ah, oh, yes, the shop was shut up for a Sunday or two. You didn't swear or get drunk for nearly a month. But you could not hold on any longer, could you? Now, if those who were to begin were saved, well, you would be secure, though you are at the present time as far from anything like religion as, as the darkness at midnight is from the blazing light of midday. Besides, common sense shows us. I say that a, that a man must hold on or else he can't be saved. Because the very worst of men are those who begin and, and then give up. If you would turn over all the black pages of Bellany to find the name of the son of perdition, where would you find it? Why, among the apostles, the man who had wrought miracles, 
and had preached the gospel. He sold his master for 30 pieces of silver. How cheap. Judas Iscariot betrays the Son of Man with a kiss. Where's a worse name than that of Simon Magus? Simon, he believed also, says the scripture, and yet he offered the apostles money if they would sell to him the Holy Ghost. What an idea. What an infamous notoriety Demas obtained. He who loved the present evil world. How much damage did Alexander the coppersmith do to Paul? He did me much evil said he. The Lord reward him according to his works. And yet that Alexander was once foremost in danger and even exposed his own person in the theater at Ephesus. He did that that he might rescue the apostle. There are none so bad as those who once seemed to be good. If the salt has lost its savor wherewith shall it be seasoned? That which is best when ripe is worse when rotten. Liquor which is sweetest in one stage becomes sourest in another. Let not him that putteth on his armor boast as though he putteth it on. For even common sense teaches you that it is not to begin, but to continue to the end, which marks the time of the child of God. But we need not look to analogy and to mere common sense. Scripture is plain enough. What says John? They went out from us. Why? Were they ever saints? No. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, doubtless they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might be manifest that they were not of us. That is in the Bible. <laughs> they were not Christians, or else they had not thus apostatized. Peter says, It has happened unto them according to the proverb. The dog hath returned to its vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire indicating at once most clearly that the dog, though it did vomit, always was a dog. When men disgorge their sins unwillingly, not giving them up because they dislike them, but because they cannot retain them, if a favorable time comes, they will return to swallow once more what they seem to abandon once upon a time. The sow that was washed, aye, aye, bring it, bring it into the parlor with you. Introduce it to your friends. It was washed. It was well washed, too. Whoever saw so respectable a member of the honorable confraternity of swine before? Bring it in. Yes. Yeah. But will you keep it there? Wait and see. Because you have not transformed it into a man. On the first occasion, it will be found wallowing in the mire. Why? Because it was not a man. It was a sow. And so we think we may learn from multitudes of other passages, if we had time to quote them, that those who go back into perdition are not saints at all, for perseverance is a badge of righteousness. The righteous shall hold on his way, 
and he that hath clean hands shall wax stronger and stronger. We not only get life by faith, but faith sustains it. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. There's so many scriptures that prove these things. What we have learned from scripture, dear friends, have been abundantly confirmed by observation. Every day would I bless God that in so numerous a church, we have comparatively, comparatively so few have proved false. But I've seen enough, and the Lord knoweth more than enough, to make me very jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I could tell of many an instance of men and women who did run well. What did hinder them? What did hinder them that they should not obey the truth? I remember a young man of whom I thought as favorably as of any of you. And I believe he did at that time deserve our favorable judgment. He walked among us one of the most hopeful of our sins. And we hoped that God would make him serviceable to his cause. He fell into bad company. There was enough conscience left after a long course of secret sin to make him feel uncomfortable in his wickedness, so he didn't give it up. And when at last his sin stared him in the face and others knew it, so ashamed was he that though he bore the Christian name, he took poison, that he might escape the shame which he had brought upon himself. He was rescued, rescued by skill and by good providence of God. But where he is and what he is, God only knows, for he had taken another poison more deadly still, which made him the slave of his own lust. So don't think it is the young alone. It is a very lamentable fact that there are in proportion more backslidings among the old than the young. And if you want to find a great sinner in that respect, you will find him surely nine times out of ten with gray hairs on his head. Have I not frequently mentioned that you do not find in Scripture many cases of young people going astray? You do find believers sinning, but they were all getting old men. There's Noah. He was no youth. There is Lot. When drunken, he was no child. There's David with Bathsheba. He was no young man either in the heat of passion. There's Peter denying the Lord. He was no boy at the time. These were men of experience and knowledge and wisdom. So let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. With sorrow do we remember one whom years ago we heard pray among us, and sweetly too, esteemed and trusted by us all. I remember a dear brother saying very kindly, but not too wisely, if he's not a child of God, I'm not. But what did he, my brethren, to our shame and sorrow, but go aside to the very worst and foulest of sins? And where is he now? Perhaps the alehouse may tell you, or worse places still. So have we seen the earth's sun may be eclipsed, earth's stars may go out, and all human glory melt into shame. But no true child of God perishes, hold that fast. 
But this is the badge of a true child of God, that a man endures to the end. And if a man does not hold on, but sinks back to his old master, once again fits on the old collar and wears again the satanic yoke, there is sure proof that he was never, he has never come out of the spiritual Egypt through Jesus Christ, his leader, and has never obtained that eternal life which cannot die because it is born of God. I have thus, then, dear friends, said enough to prove, I think, beyond dispute, that the true badge of Christian perseverance, and that without it, no man has proved himself to be a child of God. Perseverance. So next time, perseverance is therefore the target of all spiritual enemies. And we'll get to that next time. So think on these things, pilgrim, important things. There are those who are saved, truly saved, and there are those who are not. There are those who understood what they were doing, and there's those who didn't. Those who made it and those who didn't. So, God bless Pilgrim. Have a blessed, blessed day. And remember, when you sit down to make a video, turn your mic on. <laughs> God bless. Have a blessed day.